Unwritten contains mature language, content, and themes. Please listen with care. Previously on Unwritten. Gerald enters the room. Rather than walking around to sit on the couch, he walks up directly behind Sarah. He brushes her hair back. She is startled at first, but the corner of her mouth turns up quickly in a shy grin. Gerald bends down and begins slowly kissing her neck. I... I just don't think we want the same things. And I didn't realize that until now. Until too late. This is what I need to write. My thesis. A case study on Gerald Wagner. You cannot write about co-eds crushing on Gerald. Not for your thesis. Not for anything. I wasn't going to. We have often discussed how you cannot lie to me. Usually right after you try to lie to me. Sarah sits doing weights at a machine in the university gym. She listens to a hip-hop workout playlist. A male artist raps something about bitches being easy and pussy-proving power. Sarah looks up, sees a boy lifting weights in front of her. He makes eye contact and doesn't break it. She looks away, sees another boy on her right. He checks her out. She looks away and sees another boy on her left. He smiles. She slams her weights down, switches the song on her phone, and walks to the lockers. She zips on a sweat jacket and pulls the hood low over her face. She swings on her backpack and walks quickly out of the gym, looking at her feet. Outside, Sarah walks while searching through her backpack for her keys. She runs into someone and the contents of her backpack spill out onto the sidewalk. She looks up and makes eye contact with some dude. Sarah! Sarah looks quickly away. She scrambles to gather the stuff from her backpack. Let me. I'm fine. The dude reaches out to put a handful of pens back in Sarah's backpack. His hand grazes hers. She flinches. Don't touch me. The dude steps back. Whoa. Sorry, I just... I... long day. Um, I gotta go. Sarah sits at the wheel of her car. She puts her key in the ignition. Her hands are shaking. She turns on the radio. A soft voice talks on an advice show. Sarah is oblivious. Flirty one-night stand took a turn for the drunken worse. We've all been there, am I right? Tonight we're addressing a letter from... What am I doing? Why didn't I say anything? I should have said something. Sarah's car drives over a bridge. Did nothing wrong. Lines are often fuzzy in these situations, especially when alcohol is involved. Communication can be misconstrued. Sarah's eyes linger on the edge of the bridge... She starts listening to the voice on the radio. But, Elizabeth, you understand yourself better than anyone else can. You know what happened. You know how you feel. Respect that. Sarah's car swerves off the edge of the road. The wheels bump along the rumble strip. Another car honks. Sarah sharply turns back onto the road. She hits the power button on the radio. Tears fall down her cheeks. it all it's just unwritten not putting it off just trying to figure it out if what i say comes to fruition with these words i can't play around walking on wires without a net ending up alone it hasn't happened yet Follow what I find above Cause again 
Dayton Writers Movement presents Unwritten, starring Luna Madison, Jordan Lopez, David Senator, Zach Duncan, Adrian Miller, and I'm Sean Gunther. Episode 6, Without Hope, written by Anna Adamy, directed by Chris Burnside. Also starring Hope Azell, Stephen Kallenberg, Stephen Crump, Dodie Lockwood, Joe Oliveri, Sandy Coleman, Sarah Amar, Megan Burnside, Emily Kallenberg, and Liz Rosevere. In her office, Professor Lincoln stares through bifocals at her computer. Her office door is open. Elaine peeks in and knocks. One moment, Elaine. Elaine stands in the doorway. She looks at a poster of Frida Kahlo on the wall. A quote under the portrait reads, I never painted dreams. I painted my own reality. All right, come on in. Elaine sits across from Professor Lincoln's desk. Professor Lincoln shuffles papers around. Sorry about that. The provost is adamantly bombarding my email to find a student representative for the presidential search, which, coincidentally, could be helpful in your research. I'd definitely be interested. I thought that may be the case. But you do understand this will be a time commitment. Shouldn't be a problem. All right. I'll send them your name. Professor Lincoln writes a note on a legal pad, then turns back to Elaine. Wonderful. So, let's talk thesis. Any new developments? I've narrowed my topics. Excellent. Sexual harassment in the university setting, specifically between seasoned faculty and younger students. Explain more. Truth blurred by closed doors and misunderstandings. Offenses brushed under the rug. What does justice look like when the offender is the face of the system? You have some work to do. I know. You seem confident about this one. It's important. Have you found sources? Um, some. Well, start searching. Send me what you find. I'll talk to Dr. O'Malley. She specializes in gender theory and may have some helpful information. I'd rather keep this between the two of us. I mean, if you don't mind. For now, anyway. Okay. Well, send me what you find, nonetheless. Elaine starts to get up. And you do know that eventually you will share this information. Your thesis won't stay sitting in your journal pages all cozy and unbothered. It will be shared in your presentation very soon. It will be critiqued. Then we will send it on to academic journals to be published. Yes, I understand. I just want to hold off the critique until I've solidified my research. Understandable. Elaine stands and swings her bag onto her shoulders. Lincoln looks back at her computer, but continues talking to Elaine. The search committee's meeting this Wednesday, Q&A with the candidates and the student representatives. It'll be prophetic, I'm sure. I'll forward you the information. In Elaine's classroom, students talk, waiting for her to begin class. Elaine writes on the blackboard, How does your story fit into the larger narrative? Greg leans towards Sarah. Hey. Sarah ignores him. Hey, hello. What? Did you write that thing? I mean, kind of, I guess. I didn't finish it. Recruitment this week. Gotta earn my keep. Work hard, play hard, you feel? Sarah forces a smile. She taps her pen and looks away from Greg. So it was a personal essay, right? I started it, but it was so wishy-washy. Girly, let's talk about feeling stuff. Elaine overhears him and turns from the blackboard. The assignment, Gregory, was to relate the text to a personal memory, to explore how other stories can affect your own. Mm. Greg twirls a pen in his hand and turns his head slightly to speak again to Sarah. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to do that. Any of those who did complete the assignment care to share? The class fidgets. Was this writing exercise easy? The class stays silent. No? Someone coughs. Was it difficult? Students look away from Elaine. Did you enjoy the creative challenge? With a resounding lack of response, Elaine gives up. No. Okay. Greg leans back in his chair. His legs sprawl into the aisle between desks. He breaks the silence without raising his hand. I had a hard time, personally. I didn't know how to relate to the main character. I mean... She's a woman, firstly. My personal experiences don't align with hers at all. Sarah turns to him, irritated. Well, that's the point, isn't it? 
I thought the book was about marriage or something. No, the point of the assignment. To relate with stories that are different than your own. Yeah, but I don't think we always can relate with other people. Sometimes they're just too different. The parts of narratives we don't relate to are equally important to discuss. Why don't we relate to them? Is it for a cultural reason? A genetic reason? The assignment is about learning to think critically about our own lives. Sarah, would you mind reading a paragraph from your essay? Oh, no, I didn't mean... It doesn't have to be perfect. I don't think I'll prove your point, though. Maybe a guy should read, to show that, like, I don't know, um... It's equally important to understand how you, as a young woman, relate to the story of another woman from a different background. Not all female experiences are the same. I... Okay. Do you want me to just read from the beginning, then? That would be fine, yes. Sarah starts to read. Like Janie and her relationship with Starks, I understand what it means to feel deceived. Sarah blushes. He seemed better than other guys. Smarter. He told me I was better than other girls. Brighter. More beautiful. He cooked me dinner. His kitchen became a trap, and he caught my lips in his snare. His Picasso tattoo still haunts me, and I wonder what I could have done differently. Sarah looks up. Elaine is staring, shocked. She smiles quickly, trying to cover it. Sorry, I just way overshared to a group of mostly strangers. Um, I could read more of the textual analysis portion if you'd prefer. No, no, that was perfect. Thank you for sharing. As class ends, students gather their bags and leave as quickly as possible. On their way out the door, Greg and another student complain about the book. Yeah, dude, I feel ya. The main character was a whiny bitch. They leave. Elaine catches Sarah's attention. Sarah, a moment, please. I'd like to talk to you about your piece. Sarah stands in front of Elaine's desk. They are the only two left in the room. Your prose was very artful. Thanks. I mean it. You have a powerful voice and a powerful story. It's important to share it. Thank you. I don't want to pry. I just want to make sure you're okay. Is everything all right? I'm... Yeah, I'm fine. Thanks. It's okay if you're not fine. I slip off the tightrope of fine most days myself. I mean, I just want you to know if there is anything you can talk to me about it. I had a weird thing with this guy I dated, that's all. Okay. I shouldn't have shared it. I shouldn't have written about it, really. I'm just being dramatic. I don't think you're being dramatic. I guess I'm fixated on him or something. Needed to get the feelings out of my system. He sort of spooked me as all. Do you mind if I ask how so? Well, he just... He sort of forced me, you know? Wow, I should not be telling you this. Do you mean that he... Oh, no. No, no. I think I gave him the wrong idea, if anything. I don't know. I mean, I did tell him no, but he probably thought I was only teasing. At first, I was super into him, don't get me wrong. Like, he's very attractive, and he's older. I thought I was into older guys. Anyway, I'm fine. It's in the past. Sarah, what you're saying sounds like rape. Sarah shakes her head. She bites her lip. I... Sarah looks at the ceiling. She shakes her head again. She starts to silently cry. She wipes her cheeks. Was this man Dean Wagner? Sarah's eyes widen. Sorry, I am so very sorry I overstepped. How did you know? I've heard about his tattoo. Oh. Sarah, have you talked to anyone about this? Not really, no. Just you. It might not be a bad idea to speak with a professional. Just to help get things off your chest. To bring you some peace. Sometimes it's easier to talk about these things with people who don't know you or the situation personally. Yeah, maybe. Here, I'll give you my contact. She's located right here on campus, and she's very good. She helped me through a tough time. Her name is Dr. Lemon. In a conference room, the presidential candidate interviews take place. Elaine and six other students sit across from Gerald and the other presidential candidate, Michelle Johnson. We should root our university's development in student input. We should grow from our students' ideas, branch out to understand their models of thinking, 
How best can you, the students, change the world? This takes attention on our part. This takes listening. Listening to people like you. You're what this is all about. The proctor thanks Dr. Johnson, then directs the students' questions towards Gerald. Gerald leans forward, attentively folds his hands on the table, and smiles at the students. Elaine quickly speaks before anyone else has a chance. How would you approach a case of sexual violence on campus? Gerald leans back. A very serious issue, to be sure. Thus far, I'd say sexual violence hasn't necessarily been a glaring problem on campus. We're lucky for that. Of course, it's imperative to have proper measures in place in case such a problem does arise, and I would say we have such measures in place. For example, my staff has done a phenomenal job implementing the Green Dot Prevention Program. Excellent training to keep our students safe. My staff also reviews each Title IX complaint carefully. Interesting. I thought you said there isn't much of an issue. Do you get a lot of complaints? Well, we do get the occasional complaint, but that's just it sometimes. Gerald looks at his audience as if conveying a secret. An empty complaint. How do you know the difference between empty and real? I'd say it's important to look at each case specifically, but often, with a closer look, there's just not much more to uncover. The proctor encourages other students to ask questions, but Elaine presses on. So you would say more often than not, rape complaints are dramatic over exaggerations. The other students start to look around at each other. I see how my words there could have been misinterpreted. I'll rephrase. First and foremost, every complaint must be read carefully and considered to be true. How exactly do the you? The proctor cuts Elaine off and calls on another student. At the end of the meeting, students file out. Michelle and Gerald shake the students' hands and thank them for their time. Gerald catches Elaine's elbow as she tries to sneak out. Elaine jumps slightly. <laughs> Didn't mean to scare you. I just wanted to follow up. I know the proctor cut you off on some of those questions. If you have anything else to discuss, I'm an open book. We could go grab coffee, if you like. The last student shuts the door behind them. Elaine and Gerald are in the conference room alone. Elaine shrinks away from Gerald. He stands between her and the door. You look familiar, actually. Have we met before? Um... Elaine fidgets. You were in the office. Elaine looks alarmed. You're friends with Chelsea Wu, aren't you? We met in her office a short while back. Yes, that's right. I was in Chelsea's office. Chelsea seemed to be very worried about you, what with the tragedy. Your roommate, correct me if I'm wrong? Elaine looks around the room, visibly showing her desire to leave. Gerald either doesn't notice or doesn't care. Dynamite gal, that Chelsea. Smart as a whip and with the humor to boot. Not bad on the eyes, either. Gerald flashes Elaine a smile and a wink, then chuckles as if he's made a joke. You know, humor's always left out of interviews, I think. It's looked down upon, not professional enough. But I'd say humor's the most telling part of a person. Yeah. Yeah, Chelsea's pretty great. Speaking of which, I actually have plans with her. Like now. Elaine squeezes past Gerald towards the door. Of course, of course. If you have any more questions, though, I assume you know where my office is. The door's always open for you. Elaine sits in her apartment that night. She looks at her phone. Her thumb lingers over Chelsea's name. She turns off her phone and drops it on the couch. She stands up. She paces the apartment. She puts her hand on the doorknob to lead his bedroom. She doesn't open the door. She paces again. She looks at Lita's painting in the living room. She stares hard at the acrobat in the swirl of the coffee cream. Such pain. Frida Kahlo, the Mexican painter, stands behind Elaine, looking closely at the painting. Frida wears a colorful traditional skirt and an earring in the shape of a hand. Yet such a lovely darkness. Such rawness. Such truth. I wish I'd known. It takes an artist to turn pain into beauty. You know the artist? I did. Talented. The colors are almost seductive, yet the imagery is startling. It speaks of hurt, of loneliness. It speaks of rape. Elaine moves away from the painting and into the kitchen. She swings cabinets open, then slams them shut again. She opens the fridge and pulls out an apple. She cuts the apple, 
her knife thudding against the cutting board with each slice. You are upset. No, I'm perfectly happy, thank you. Perfectly okay. This has been a delightfully ordinary day. Elaine cuts the tip of her finger. She throws the knife down. Shit. There was nothing you could have done. But what if there was? Then you'll miss the opportunity. There is no triumph in obsessing on the past. You must focus on the present. What will you do today? Tomorrow? Now? I have to expose him. His contempt, his pompous smile, he appalls me. He... Honestly, quite honestly, he scares me. She wasn't the only one. The painter, Lita? She wasn't the only one. My student, for Christ's sake, he rates my students. How many women has he destroyed? You must make something out of this injustice. Create. My husband, Diego, he paints politics. Me, I paint experience. I cannot separate the personal from the politics. Because it's all personal. Wait. Elaine looks closely at Frida. She realizes something. You're a woman. That is what the doctors tell me. I always talk to men. How disturbingly fitting. I can't believe I'm just now realizing I always talk to men. You are a refreshing change. Frida smiles coyly. And that is what the girls tell me. Elaine stands outside Chelsea's office. Her hand raises to knock on the door. She lowers it. She looks around. She stands tall, knocks, and opens the door. You busy? Chelsea wiggles a pen between her fingers and taps her foot. Direct, distract, delegate. The alliteration's nice, but what people wanted on a magnet? <laughs> what are you talking about? Green Dot. Faculty's forced into the training, but how do I get students interested? Attention, lively youths! Looking for plans this weekend? Sign up to spend your Saturday learning about sexual violence. We'll watch uncomfortable videos and partake in mortifying role-playing exercises. Most importantly, there will be free food. You'll have them at free food? Always the magical phrase. Chelsea spins in her chair, folds her hands under her chin, and directs her undivided attention to Elaine. Welcome out of the cave of words and into the daylight, my scholarly friend. To what do I owe this great pleasure? Actually, I had some questions for you about the thesis, if you don't mind. Shoot. Do you ever see the Title IX complaints? Sexual violence is quickly snowballing into the uplifting theme of this day. Which is good, yes, because people don't talk about this stuff, and they should. But also my lunch is sounding less and less appetizing. Can we talk about consensual requited love instead? My thesis is sort of about sexual violence. Oh yeah? Taking more direction? I like it. I don't personally see the Title IX complaints, no. Gerald's assistant reads them all. Then what? If the complaints seem serious, the university takes appropriate action to protect the victim, involve the police sometimes, expel or fire offenders if necessary. Usually the papers are just shuffled into the dark abyss of the filing cabinet. Sketchy, if you ask me. Are they open for people to look at? I'm going to have to go with negatory on that one. It's not public record? I'm pretty sure that's classified. All right. Well, interesting. Thanks. Anytime, but it'll cost you a dime. I've been known to accept whiskey as payment, also dancing, or if you're feeling especially grateful for my magnanimous assistance, whiskey, dancing, and pizza. But I get that that's asking a lot. Splendor this Friday? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Splendor this Friday. Chelsea shoes Elaine out of her office. I'll be in touch. Can I borrow your keys first? Bathroom. Writing the coattails of my staff privileges? I get it. The student bathrooms have the automatic toilets that flush five times in the course of you peeing, and it's a complete uh, yeah, waste of- yeah, yeah. Chelsea throws Elaine her keys. Elaine wanders out into the hallway. Frida follows. I despise exclusionary rules. Elaine looks around, then slips over to the filing room. She unlocks it with Chelsea's keys. Frida smiles, looks down the hallway both ways, then slips into the room behind Elaine. Viva la revolucion! Title IX, Title IX. Elaine swivels around the room. She opens and closes drawers and boxes. Frida looks around. Where are they, Title IX? Found them! Frida claps with glee. Quickly now! Elaine shuffles through the files, 
finds the W folder and stuffs it into her bag. She turns out the light and leaves. Elaine hears Chelsea's voice from down the hall. She's on the phone. That's right, ma'am. One hundred magnets. Elaine pokes her head into the office. Chelsea motions that she can come in. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, I agree completely. Oh, I know that we should be teaching boys from a young age. Yep. Yep, that's the start of it. Elaine slides the keys onto Chelsea's desk and starts moving towards the door. Chelsea holds up one finger for her to wait. Exactly. We gotta all look out for each other. Uh-huh. Safety is key. Yep, 100 magnets. Thank you for sharing your thoughts. I appreciate that, ma'am. Uh-huh, I'll talk to you then. Bye-bye. Chelsea hangs up the phone and looks back at Elaine. Sounded like an insightful conversation. It is both refreshing and exasperating to hear people tell you what you already know. Chelsea takes the keys and throws them back into her drawer. Now you double owe me. What? Oh, yes. Chelsea sits upright, adopts a regal face, and delves into a theatrical performance in faux Shakespeare. It is a well-known truth that thou who borrows bathroom keys is eternally indebted to the holder of said keys. There is only one way to relieve this great, debilitating debt. A heartfelt smile? You must partake in a night of merriment and good cheer. Fine, but you forfeit the smile. So you'll come? If I get enough work done. Be gone, young one. Spread thy wings and right away. You really need to get out of this office. Hence Friday night. See you then. Elaine sits in her living room with complaint files spread around her. Frida paints beside her. What are you painting? The subject I know best. Which is? Myself. Five. There are five complaints against him. That is heinous. Researchers estimate that only 35% of sexual assault cases are even reported. That would mean that... Elaine scrounges for a piece of paper, finds one, then searches for her pen. After she turns over almost everything on the coffee table, she realizes her pen is in her hair. She pulls it out of her ponytail and scribbles a fraction equation. That would mean that in addition to the five women who filed complaints, he could have 14 other victims. You should get to know the subjects. I wonder if they'd be willing to talk to me. Wondering is fruitless. I guess I should try calling them then. Elaine fishes around for her phone and finds it. Maybe I shouldn't. You should. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I should. Okay. Elaine holds up a paper and dials a number from it. She waits as it rings. It's going to voicemail. Shit. Shit. Uh, hi. Hi there. Um, my name is Chelsea. Chelsea Wu. I... I work for the Office of Student Affairs, and I'm currently investigating a series of complaints against Gerald Wagner. I've been reviewing your file and was wondering if you were willing to talk with me. Dr. Lemon and Elaine sit in Lemon's office. Dr. Lemon sits straight and poised, legs crossed and watching Elaine. She doesn't hold a clipboard, preferring to listen closely as opposed to taking notes. It's a blustery day and the wind whips against the window, Elaine seems plagued by thought. Frida sits in the chair beside her. To what extent is it ethical to tell someone else's story? I'm not following what you mean. Take my thesis. I'm interviewing people. I'm hearing their experiences. I can't just hear these stories. I need to write about them. I need to tell them. They're not my own experiences to tell, but if I don't tell them, will anyone? Can you tell them truthfully? That's what I'm wondering. Why do you think these stories need to be told? Because they're not being told. What use is a silent story? Everyone's supposed to be quiet about this kind of stuff, but quiet doesn't solve anything. There are entire histories that are unwritten. We can't build a just future without learning from our unjust past. Is the root of your research justice or revenge? I wouldn't say it's revenge. Then personal closure? The wind raps at the window. It's all personal. Justice is personal. Human rights are personal. Is that a bad thing? Am I somehow less qualified to talk about an issue if I'm personally invested? Sorry, I didn't mean to offend. I'm just trying to understand. Well, that's what I'm trying to do, too. Understand. Just understand how and why, and help other people understand, too. Sometimes they won't. 
I know that sometimes they won't, but I have to try anyway. It's like I'm walking around with an upset stomach. Writing about this stuff, writing about the stuff that makes my stomach sick is the only thing that settles it. You are an artist. I guess. Dr. Lemon looks closely at Elaine. Do you have any other mechanisms for coping with your stress? When was the last time you let yourself a little loose? What do you mean? Going for a walk, maybe? Doing some yoga? Listening to calming music? Ridden the bicycle, danced the tango, slipped your... Oh. Oh, seriously? You're bringing up sex right now? That's not what I... This is Freud all over again. Loosening up will bring color to your cheeks. My cheeks have enough color. The wind wraps again. Angry color. I have every right to be angry. But you also have every right to be satisfied. I think you misinterpreted. Elaine looks directly at Frida. Dr. Lemon is visibly concerned. You were always lonely, weren't you? Not always. Elaine? It starts storming outside, raindrops hitting the window. Elaine turns sharply away from Frida. I, I think I better go. Who are you just speaking to? What? You were just talking. Sorry, I... Um... I haven't gotten much sleep in the last week. I must be getting a little delusional or something. Go home. Get some rest. Okay? Actual rest. Coffee doesn't count. Elaine rushes out. Dr. Lemon watches her go, concerned. Elaine meets with Sarah outside in a park off campus. It's overcast, but not raining. Elaine hands Sarah a cup of coffee, and they sit on a bench. Thanks. Thanks for meeting with me. Yeah, yeah, it's no problem. I want to explain to you a little about what I've been working on. I'll be blunt and honest with you, and you can be blunt and honest with me. Okay. I'm over the niceties, honestly. I'm over the small talk. Small talk is a safety blanket. It lets us hide from the taboo stuff we're not supposed to talk about. That's bullshit. And bullshit's probably a taboo word for a teacher to use with a student. Let's... I don't know. Let's throw out the blanket of the socially acceptable. Are you okay with that? Yeah, sure. For starters, you're not the only one he's done this to. Earlier that morning, Elaine interviews Gerald's victims. She sits tucked into a private corner of a coffee shop. Each of the girls sits in the same chair across from her, telling similar but different stories. The first victim taps her foot. He was a professor then. He was my philosophy professor. The second victim wrings her hands and avoids looking at Elaine. I was working on a big paper. I needed his advice. He knew I was stressed. He invited me to his house to talk about it. The third victim sits very still. I didn't get any weird vibes, if that makes sense. He was so... charming. He was smart and he was classy, and I fell for him. To be honest, I fell for him hard. It was mostly innocent, I think. Like, maybe I shouldn't have even filed a complaint. But I was uncomfortable. He grazed my back once, and I was like, this is not appropriate. He said a lot of weird things. I didn't pick up on them at the time. Looking back, I think, duh, red flag. But then I thought it was just his personality. I thought he was just an open dude, didn't have a filter. Talk to everyone like they were his friend. He told me that shirt is very flattering on you. Exercise is the best stress reliever. Nothing a romp in the sheets can't fix. I can help with that. Call me Jerry. Call me Jerry. Call me Jerry. Why, Why don't, don't you, you come, come over? In the park, Elaine nods encouragingly to Sarah. You are not alone. I don't know if that makes me feel better or worse. He didn't have sex with all of them. He did with me. Again, weird question to come from your teacher, but would you mind telling me how it happened? Um, yeah. Yeah, okay, I can do that. So, I was at his place. He made me dinner. It was all fine and good, I guess. In a way, I think I wanted to see where it would go. I wanted to see if this whole thing between us had potential. You know, classic dating stuff. I think dating's pretty uncomfortable anyway. 
Like, to an extent, you just gotta push through the awkward and hope you eventually get comfortable with each other. I didn't want to check out too early and not give him a chance, you know? So we got to the point that we were, like, making out a little. But I don't know, something sort of snapped. I just all of a sudden wasn't feeling it. He started taking off my dress, and I told him I wasn't sure I wanted that. But he kept coaxing me and coaxing me and saying, like, Yeah, you do want this. Of course you do. Let yourself a little loose. You deserve it. And you're so beautiful. God, you're so beautiful. And I said I wasn't really feeling in the mood, but he kept at it. And kept at it. And kept at it. But I mean, I don't know still. I probably did want it at the beginning of the night. And this was on our third date, so... But you're always allowed to change your mind. Anytime you say no, it means no. It doesn't matter what you said or did earlier. If he didn't listen to that, if he didn't stop after you said no, then he raped you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're right. I... I guess he did. God, it just felt... I just felt like I had no control. I felt invaded, which I'm probably overreacting. You're not overreacting at all. I feel so weak. Like I should have done something else. I should have kept saying no. I should have pushed him off. Do not blame yourself for this. You said no. You shouldn't have to say it multiple times. That was not your responsibility. He should have listened. He should have stopped the first time you even showed the slightest doubt. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I appreciate that. I... Then I left right after and he was all, don't go. But I wanted out of there. He had this smile on his face. This smile like he just did me a favor. Like I should be grateful. At her apartment, Elaine sits on the couch. Her computer sits on the coffee table. Papers are piled. Sticky notes are scattered. A half-eaten box of Chinese takeout sits on top of a journal. Elaine stares ahead, lost in thought. She picks up her phone. She scrolls through her contacts. She dials the number. The tone beeps to voicemail. Hey, you've reached Gus, August, Augustus, whichever Sutherland you so prefer. Drop me a message and I'll get back to you when I can. Hey, um, this is Elaine. I just wanted to call to thank you, I guess, for being nice. Thanks for being nice. Wow, sorry. I have not talked to you in forever, have I? Yep. Okay, I'm the worst. All right, um... Okay, I'll talk to you later. I'll be at Splendor tonight. I don't know if you're planning on going, but I'll be there. All right, I'll see you. Bye. Elaine hangs up. When she looks back up, Frida is sitting next to her. Why are you looking at me like that? Your heart is interwoven with another's. No. No, no, no. That is not what's happening here. You have completely misinterpreted. Are you afraid? Of August? What does that even mean? No? Of love. Elaine is quiet while she thinks. I don't know that I can love. Not in the way that people want. Not in the way that people need. I'm... Well, I'm difficult. I don't know. Or perhaps you have not crossed paths with the right soul, the soul that will weave itself with yours, weave itself fluidly, weave itself necessarily. Have you? Yes, but even then we struggle to love each other right. Sometimes it hurts to be woven with another. I think it's easier to be alone. Easier, yes. Sometimes it is. Elaine sits in Professor Lincoln's office watching Lincoln finish reading pages from her thesis. Professor Lincoln sets the pages down and regards Elaine. Well. Sorry, they're still pretty rough. Not my meaning. Your research is strong and your storytelling is powerful. Thank you. I still have a lot to do. Your presentation is next week. Yes. I'm nervous for you. Frankly, I'm unsettled by your pages. I think you're addressing a very heavy subject, and I commend you for that. Your writing should be unsettling, but you also seem to be sliding down a very slippery slope. You are talking about someone from this school, yes? I... yes. I'm afraid some of this is information I should be reporting. Most of the information has already been reported as the thing. It just hasn't been addressed. It hasn't been talked about. It hasn't been fixed. That's what I want to change with my thesis. 
Well, your presentation will be the platform to do that. I suppose. I'll warn you that what you're doing is risky. Think carefully about what you want to say. I will. I have to, don't I? Splendor is dark, with neon blue lights illuminating the bar. Club music bumps loudly, and people are just now starting to populate the dance floor. Chelsea and Elaine sit at a table together. We haven't been out together in so long. I'm glad you're here. You have emerged from the writing cave. I was kidnapped. Yes, well, we miss you and want your presence in our lives. And you need a break from words every once in a while. It's good for the soul. I have a deadline. Eh, you always turn in everything late anyway. Drea joins the group with a drink in her hand. Chelsea is surprised. That took all of half a second. Guy with the goatee. Drea points to a guy by the bar. He lifts up a drink. Very pirate chic. Nerdy hipster with a tough side. Should probably go talk to him. Whoops. Elaine narrows her eyes at the pirate-looking guy. You don't have to. Yeah, but he bought me a drink. It'd be rude not to. Did you ask for a drink? Nah, but he's checking me out. I was standing at the bar and he slipped his way in before I could hand over my card. It was a, hey girl, you're cute, let's talk maybe kind of a drink. Drea shrugs. He looks innocent enough. You don't owe him anything. Oh, I know. I feel bad though. I mean, I want to hang out with you guys, obviously, but ugh, he's looking over here again. Drea takes a swig of her cocktail. Okay, I'll be back. Drea leaves. Elaine sips from her ginger ale. I don't get it. Oh, please. Loosen up a bit. No one wants to hang with a negative Nancy. Oh, look, August is here. Chelsea waves August over. Wait, did I update you? August and Drea? What? Oh, yes. Things escalated quickly from mild to hot to fire, if you know what I mean. Uh, no. No, Chelsea, I cannot say I know what you're referring to. What up, crew? Chelsea hugs August. August awkwardly side-hugs Elaine. She taps his back once, then looks into her ginger ale. August looks around, spots Drea talking to the pirate dude. August looks back to Chelsea and Elaine. How's everyone doing? Splendid. Splendor. Eh? Yeah? August gives Chelsea a courtesy laugh. Elaine doesn't acknowledge the joke. I have never heard you use that heat scale before. It's quite a useful scale, actually. Its origins derive from the Taco Bell hot sauce labels, obviously. Mild, hot, and fire. That's not a thing. Negative Nancy strikes again. Elaine jokingly flips Chelsea off. Why do girls do that? It's not ladylike. Excuse me? What? I just don't think girls should use the middle finger. Okay, let's break this down real quick. Firstly... Elaine, dear, I love you. You know I love you, I do. But I do not want to hear this right now. You literally work for campus inclusion. That is your career. That is your vocation. What are you even saying? I'm saying that all I want right now is to have a good time with my friends. Well, I'm sorry I can't have a good time when my supposed friend is undermining my validity as a human purely because I'm a woman. He didn't mean it like that, and you know it. Drea joins the group, still laughing about something Goatee Man said. She slides in by August, and he puts his arm around her. And what is this? Are you guys a thing now or something? Elaine? It's fine, if you're a thing. Are you mad right now? I'm not mad. Hey guys, chill. Oh, shut up, Drea! Alrighty then. Drea turns immediately away and walks back to the bar. So I got your voicemail. R really? You're gonna bring that up now? What voicemail? Well, I'm glad you heard it. I meant it at the time, but I would now like to kindly retract my words. Elaine, honestly, I'm just confused. I wanted to talk to you. I don't know, my thesis is... I got really in my head, but whatever, it's fine. Look, you have to understand this from my perspective. What do you mean from your perspective? You are white, you are male, you are the only perspective anyone is taught to understand. And that's not presumptuous at all. You made nothing clear to me, Elaine. That's not true. Look, I can't read your mind. I mean, I tried. You acted like you weren't interested in me. That doesn't mean I don't appreciate you as a person. I get that, but I can't wait around for you either. This is stupid. I... 
Look, I think you and Chelsea should talk. I'm gonna get a drink. August heads for the bar. Elaine calls after him. You better hurry before Dre moves on with her obligatory pirate. Elaine and Chelsea sit silent. Elaine stares hard at her ginger ale. Chelsea taps her foot and looks everywhere except at Elaine. I read the complaints, Chelsea. I read them all, so I'm sorry if I'm on edge right now, but I'm trying to understand a lot of messed up stuff that's happening. And this just isn't helping. Being here and listening to underhanded misogynistic comments from the people who are supposed to be my best friends is not helping. You read the complaints. What complaints? The... the Title IX complaints. I told you not to. How did you even get access to them? I know you told me not to, and I respect that I do, but you don't understand everything. If we're talking about undermining validity here, I feel very undermined. How dare you? You used my key, didn't you? No one was doing anything, Chelsea. I had to. You didn't have to, though. I get it, okay? Your thesis is important. Whatever. I'm sorry I don't understand, but that's bull. You haven't told me. You haven't tried to fill me in on this great, important thing you're writing about. That's not fair. I did fill you in, but you didn't want to hear it. So this is about Gerald again. Is that what this is about? Yes. So what? Yes, this is about our wonderful Dean Gerald Wagner. But it's also about more than that. It's about a whole big monster no one wants to talk about. That's what you don't understand. Well, let's talk about our friendship. Maybe we should talk about that monster. What are you talking about? Maybe we should talk about how you continuously wipe your feet on me like I'm your frivolous decorative doormat. Are you serious? Who are you anymore? What happened to the Chelsea who would put victims over the institution? When did you sell out? Who am I? What happened to the Elaine who... You know, I was actually going to ask what happened to the Elaine who put her friends first, but as I think about it, I realized that Elaine never existed. Elaine's mouth drops open. She stares at Chelsea. Elaine, I do so much for you. You don't see it, but I do so much for you. I don't bother you when you get in your moods. I deal with your swings. I, I help you with your thesis. And what? What do you do? You mope around and you insult August and you insult Drea and you insult me and none of us deserve it, Elaine. We're always here. We're always giving and we're always hoping that one day you'll start giving back, but you don't. And maybe you can't and it's exhausting. I... It's fine. Honestly, it's fine. I kidnapped you tonight, right? Well, I release you. You just... You do you. Chelsea leaves Elaine sitting alone. Elaine picks at the label on her ginger ale bottle. Elaine lies curled in her bed, her knees tucked in close to her stomach. Her eyes are bloodshot and her hair is a mess. She stares at the wall. Frida climbs onto the bed with her. Are you all right? Elaine doesn't respond. Frida brushes Elaine's hair out of her eyes. It is okay. It is okay to not be all right. Elaine cries softly. It is okay to feel this way. It is good. Your feelings are worthy. Your feelings are important. Elaine wipes her eyes. I tried to drown my sorrows once, you know. And? And the bastards learned how to swim. What if everything I'm doing is wrong? So what if it is? But what if it's right? I've pushed everyone away. So you're alone. Loneliness inspired some of my best work. You will make great things. But no one understands. I know. Not even Chelsea. And I'm stuck doing this, and it sucks. It sucks. It sucks to obsess. It's isolating to be in tune, to hear and see all these things that no one else hears or sees. Like, why? Why me? Ignorance is bliss, and that cliche makes me cringe, which in itself just furthers my point that I just want to be blissful. You are being honest. I think I just pushed my best friend away. Being honest is everything. It is more. Honesty is estranging. But brave. It is so brave, to be honest. Elaine lies in bed. She pulls a blanket over herself and tucks it close to her chin. She doesn't toss or turn, but she doesn't sleep either. After an hour, she gets up. With her blanket still wrapped around her, she drags herself out of her room.
She opens the door to Lita's room. The room is almost empty. Distant streetlights cast the uncovered mattress in a yellow light that somehow seems too bright for the night. Elaine crawls onto Lita's old bed. She slowly falls asleep without even a pillow to cushion her head. It's on us to stop sexual assault, to get in the way before it happens. To get a friend home safe. It's on us to not blame the victim. It's on us to stand up, to step in, to take responsibility. It's on all of us to make survivors feel safe and supported and to know that we believe them, we support them, and it's not their fault. It's on all of us to change the culture around sexual assault. It's on us. It's on us. It's on us. Join the movement by taking the pledge at itsonus.org. Stay tuned for scenes from our next episode. Dayton Writers Movement presents Unwritten. Executive Producers Chris Burnside, Megan Burnside. Producers Anna Adamy, Joey Ferber, Jenna Gomes, Cece Hutton, Avery Huddle, Grace Poppy, Tavis Taylor. Sound Engineer Dan Seavers. Script Editors Anna Adamy, Chris Burnside. Script Supervisors Cece Hutton, Grace Poppy. Theme song by Joey Ferber, Kelsey Mills, and Ian Mortison. Unwritten was recorded at Megafauna Sound. For more Unwritten, visit our website at unwrittenpodcast.com. This episode of Unwritten was brought to you by Handcrafted Imports, whose mission is to change lives through art. Handcrafted Imports brings the awesome beauty and creativity of talented artists from South Africa to your doorstep in the U.S., When you purchase from Handcrafted Imports, you not only will bring an exquisite work of art into your home, you will improve lives in the economy of South Africa. Every artist Handcrafted Imports works with practices fair trade and provides a fair wage and important training to their staff. You may view and purchase the Handcrafted Unique Ceramics by visiting handcraftedimports.com. On the next episode of Unwritten. It's always on to the next thing with her. Don't be upset, Elaine. Don't worry, Elaine. Just come to Splendor and forget about everything else, Elaine. My thesis is important to me. To her, my work is always just... like a cute hobby. Sigmund Freud? And you are? Come on, really? We were different times, but there was some overlap. Dracula? Sherlock Holmes? All of you, just stop right now! Elaine rushes into her bathroom. She slams the door closed and locks it. 